Real quick before we get started, this episode is sponsored by Auxilio Partners, building the legal, business, and technology infrastructure for church plants. Find out how at auxilio.partners slash five points. You are listening to the Five Points Church Planting Podcast, where two church planters try to make one good point. Dane Ortland joins the podcast today to discuss his new work and what significance it holds for those who are planting churches. So here we go. Well, Hunter, how are you doing today? John, I'm doing good. How are you? I'm good. So we got a special guest today. And uh, I got a funny story. Uh, so my church, as the summer has been going on, we thought, hey, maybe it's good for us to read through a book together and, you know, be on the same page as people are coming and going. So I uh, had this highly recommended book, Gentle and Lowly. And I thought, okay. So I went on Reformation Heritage Books and got 15 copies, you know, sent my way. And I mean, I felt like maybe five minutes after I did that, maybe it was the next day, uh, I get this email that any pastor can order up to 198 copies of Gentle and Lonely for free, and they will ship them directly <laughs> to you for free, uh, which is uh, great. And I did order some more copies. And thankfully, our book showed up quicker than the, the free copies did. And we were able to read through the book this summer and be encouraged that way. But that kind of leads in a little bit to our guest. We have Dane Orland joining us today on our podcast. And uh, thanks for being with us, Dane. Oh, it's great to join you guys. Thank you, John. So, Dane, <clears throat> I was going to buy your books, but thankfully you called me and told me just to wait and you would be sending the free copies my way to give out to people in my church. So I really appreciate that. But uh, in, all, in all seriousness, uh, open, open our episode this morning by telling us about yourself and, and your life in ministry. Thanks, Hunter. I'm sitting in Naperville, Illinois right now outside Chicago, um, southwest suburb of Chicago in my office here at Naperville Presbyterian Church, which God parachuted me into 10 months ago. Actually, we've been here as a family for 14 years mm. um, since moving here from St. Louis in 07. But uh, I was just a member and then an elder the last couple of years. But uh, in a very strange series of events, the Lord um, put me on the staff here. So I'm serving in a pastoral role here in Naperville. We moved two weeks ago from Wheaton to Naperville. Uh, I spent the last decade working up at Crossway in Wheaton. And uh, my wife and five kids, ages 14 down to five, four boys and a girl, moved down here two weeks ago. So they just, in the last couple of days, have started new Naperville schools and, and that kind of thing. And uh, so it's been quite a and a, a strange midlife transition, but I'm having a ton of fun. Great. No, that's uh, I've actually been to that church during a church planting field trip while I was in seminary. They, uh, they brought us through the Chicago land and uh, we met there for uh, a number of, uh, of our meetings. So John, was... I did exactly the same trip <laughs> in about 2003. You were a little bit after me, I think yeah. brother, but I remember that. Well, that was my first exposure to this church too. <laughs> So as somebody who's coming into a, a, you know, a newish role in, in a larger established church and, you know, obviously our, our church planning podcast here is, is kind of more towards startups. 
Um, you know, do you have any thoughts about, you know, your new role and, and maybe some of the, uh, the dynamics of, of entering into a new ministry and how there's uh, commonality, even if it is an established church? Uh, well, as I said to my associate pastor yesterday, uh, hey, Davey, you might not have picked this up yet in the first 10 months, but I have absolutely no idea what I'm doing when he asked me something. So that's how I feel. If Maybe I'm the only one. I don't think so. Uh, I am trying to figure it out. Like I, I'm moving through life in like four hour chunks. So I know what I'm doing this morning, this afternoon. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> I, I, as I said, I'm having a ton of fun, really enjoying it. Uh, the, the challenges are high. The biggest challenge in my life is me and my own wretchedness and sin, but um, other, other adversities as well. Uh, I, I plunked into this role right in the middle of COVID. There mm. are some blessings and some, some advantages, some disadvantages to being a member of a church, and then they call you to be their pastor. I mean, that's a very yeah. bizarre scenario. Yeah. Um, the advantages are just, I, I have 14 years of love built up between yeah. me and these people and relationships. The, the, these elders and others have helped me raise my kids. I mean, um, we came here with one, one year old mm. and, uh, and that is so that so I'm hmm. my dad said to me, Dane, on, on day one, you will be where it would have taken another man three to five years to get relationally where you are on day one. I think there, I think there's some truth to that. At the same time, uh, this these people and the elders have to get used to Dane being the new senior. Pastor. It's just Dane. I mean, well, yep. <laughs> that's just yep. weird, you know. This is the guy preaching each week and leading the session meetings and elder meetings and so on. And uh, I would share the same uh, difficulty they have if I were in their shoes. So I get it. So um, we're all getting used to each other and uh, it's really enjoyable. Um, you know, just doing my first couple of weddings, first couple of funerals, trying to figure yeah. out how to navigate Monday morning, despair over how the previous day's sermons went. Um, and, uh, uh, but I am so very thankful that the Lord brought me here. Yeah, there's a lot to identify in what you said in terms of, you know, church planning. You talked about the people of your church knowing you as Dane and then now looking at you and understanding, seeing you as their pastor. Uh, you know, in church planning, you see that in in light of you're the core group leader, you're the church planner. And at some point there's a transition transition that happens where the people of the core group begin to look at you as their pastor and not so much, you know, the church planter. And that's, um, well, that's really wonderful that you have all that time and experience being in that congregation and that community to be able to make that, make that transition. That's, that's I'm fantastic. thankful for it, Hunter. Yeah. And it, 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 it allows, it does provide a cushion of interpersonal grace when I keep screwing up. Um, <laughs> right. Not endless, but some more yeah. than if they more than if I was a total stranger coming in here, yep. because there's the love built up um, here. I am at 42 years old in my very first pastoral role, 10 months in. And I, I really am figuring this out as I go. Right. Um, and uh, so it, it that that does help. Yeah, that could be the mantra of our podcast, figuring this out as you go. Right, John? Yeah. Amen. I was thinking fake it till you make it. But yeah, well, that's a good one, too. That's a good one, too. So, Dane, my in the midst of covid planting a church, uh, a friend of mine called and said, what are you reading? And I just laughed. Um, you know, we had moved, we're starting the church, COVID's going on. 
And I thought, I wish I had time to read um, right now. And in the, in my mind, I kept thinking there's a book I church planners keep talking about. What, what is that work? What is that book? That's probably what I should grab. That's probably what I should read. And it was gentle and lowly. Um, I first heard about it in church planning circles. Yep. Why do you think it resonated so quickly and so well with this particular group? I didn't know that it did, but I'm happy to learn that Hunter. That, um, and uh, the, the short answer is, wow, I have no idea. But to give a f- <laughs> couple of footnotes to that is I don't, I, um, we are all, here we all are gasping for air in our souls as we move through life, every single Christian. And then for church planters, I've never planted a church, so I'm speaking out of ignorance. But from what I believe and think and observe, church planters, that gasping is just ratcheted way, way up. And then you layer on COVID and you layer on all the adversities and where finance is coming from. And, and you know, the mic goes haywire this morning and everything. And um, what I, what I, what all of us and especially planters don't need, I think is seven handy tips or five pieces of advice yeah. or right. um, you, what they don't need is law in a in hundred different ways that sounds like gospel. What they need to do, what they need to know is the same thing that we all are are longing for to believe is really true as we move through life, namely that that underneath are the everlasting arms of a tender savior who is most drawn to us at our worst, who is strongest at our weakest, who um, wh- whose heart is drawn out to us most intensely when we are most certain he's done with us. Um, that's what I need. I'm not planting a church, but that's what I need in this pastoral role. I, I need to know simply who the real Jesus is, mm-hmm. the real one, not the one I tend to project and believe is there with my natural reflexive intuitions, but the one that the scripture tells me is there tearing down the little junior varsity decaffeinated, domesticated Jesus, I tend to think is there. And if that's who he really is, actually, I can go through this day. I was on the phone for an hour and a half late last night with a couple different elders sorting through a problem and woke up this morning in abject despair. (laughs) Today, this is not theory for me. Right. I need to know who he really is for me in all of my sin and suffering. And surely for planters, it's simply the same need. It's just heightened. Yeah. Yeah. Good word. Well, Dane, uh, as you've been in a new role, only 10 months, I, I get the hunch. I'm not a writer that books take a little longer to get to the, to the hands of the readers. And so uh, what was that process? Like where does the Genesis of this book? Uh, Obviously it sounds like, you know, you have this personal, you know, need, like you said, this gospel reality in your own heart and life, like we all do. But how did it come about that you wanted to write a book and also this particular topic? Where, where did that come from and how, what was that process like? In 2013, I read a little online article on a website that I think is defunct now called Theology Network. It was part of the, uh, a, a, a campus ministry in the UK, mm. their Theology Network uh, web, web platform by Mike Reeves. Um, and 
it was a little brief introduction to Thomas Goodwin, someone I had never mm-hmm. maybe heard his name here and there, never read anything about him, did, didn't care about Thomas Goodwin. And Mike was simply quoting bits of the book, The Heart of Christ. The longer title is by Goodwin, The Heart of Christ Who is in Heaven for Sinners Who Are on Earth, mm-hmm. in which Goodwin's single point is to say, you think that because Jesus is now ascended and in heaven, that his heart is cooler toward you than it was for his disciples in the pages of the Gospels when he was on earth. And the point of the book is, nope, you're wrong. His heart is as strongly beating for you, and actually because of the Holy Spirit, more so. so anyway, Mike introduced me to Goodwin, and I thought, oh my goodness, um, I need to get that book. I ordered the book, read it, and I still haven't picked myself up off the ground. 2013, eight years ago, and um, uh, ordered his, uh, you mentioned Reformation Heritage, I ordered his 12 volumes, the black paperbacks from them, and started plunking my way through them. A lot, another pastor friend of mine in Indianapolis, Drew Hunter, and I have been reading through Goodwin for eight years together. I read a page a day. And, hmm. um, and as I read, uh, I found, I realized that the heart of Christ, his book, Goodwin's book, is actually a pervasive theme throughout his writings in a way it isn't for the other puritans and so i went to justin taylor the book the head of books at crossway he was a colleague of mine i said hey man this is really animating in my heart um that book that goodwin wrote on the heart of christ is it's very analytical you have to mine hard to find the golden nuggets sure though it is gold we need 400 years later we need that book what if i wrote it in my 60s And um, we had a few conversations about that over the course of a couple of years, because I wanted to let it percolate. I wanted to stick it in the crock pot of my heart and let it simmer. Uh, And he, in his gentle, godly way, rebuked me at the end of a year or so as we kept talking about this. And he said, no, Dane, you're presumptuous to think you're still going to have this animating your heart um, in 20 years. How do you even know you're going to be alive? Why don't you just try it now? So I wrote up a proposal, sent it in, they accepted it, and I wrote it. This is, and uh, yeah, it did, it was quite a process. Um, uh, and um, so I am just trying to say, this is what Christ's own heart is. We have great classes in seminary on the person of Christ and on the work of Christ. And we must keep having those classes, but I never had a class on the heart of Christ. And it is what is keeping me afloat in these days and years. So that was the genesis of the book. Yeah, that's so good. Um, Dane, we're, you know, planting in a suburb of Memphis and we have the free copies of the book and we're going to use those Hmm. later on to reach out into our community. And when that offer was made, I thought that was exceptional. At the same time, I was amazed because I'd never honestly seen that type of offer before as a pastor and as a church planner, what led to you guys making the decision or Crossway making the decision, hey, we're going to help churches, we're going to help pastors, we're going to help church planners, we're going to put this book in their hands? Um, A very godly and very wealthy man in another part of the country read the book and it grabbed his heart. And he said, hey, Crossway and Dane, what if I wrote a check so that you can provide a million free copies to people? That's what happened. 
Wow. And we, we drove the cost way down so that we were able to get it pretty close to a dollar per unit of manufacturing. Yeah. So in effect, this dear godly man whom God is going to introduce to the universe one day, though he wishes to remain anonymous now, wrote a check for a million bucks so that a million people could have a copy of that book. Wow. So when someone writes you that email, you don't turn that down. <laughs> yeah. So it was most unusual. Yeah, you're right. We've never heard of this. Hey, any church out there, would you like a couple hundred copies of this book? Just take 20 seconds to fill out your name and address. And Crossway did a marvelous job executing the whole thing as they always do. Yeah. Yeah, I, la I laughed to myself because at the same time I was ordering Bibles and I thought, what, a, what an interesting situation here. I get free copies of Gentle and Lowly and I have to buy the Bible. So um, <laughs> we're, we're very thankful for that. And, and really, we're excited about how we're going to use it as a tool for outreach and, and a tool to help people in our community. That's absolutely spectacular, to be completely Wonderful. honest. Quick yeah. disclaimer for our listeners. There are no more free. Uh, this was a month or two back that you had to sign up. You had to be a pastor of a church. Um, that being said, it's still worth the 10 bucks or whatever you can find it on online if, if you don't have a free copy. So obviously, uh, we're all pastors here and, uh, you know, have benefited from this book. As you think about, you know, the distribution of this thing going to, you know, churches far and wide, you know, what what is the... Uh, the hope of the, the niches is going to fill for it, for a church, for a planter, for, you know, somebody who's going to give it out as part of their church's ministry at their welcome table. Um, if somebody's listening to this, maybe they haven't read the book. What, what lane do you think this book lands in, in terms of being a resource for the church? That's an interesting question, John. Um, what, what's coming to mind right now is when I was in middle school and I had a, a couple of years where I had, had real bad bouts of asthma. I wake up barely being able to get a breath and roll off the top bunk of my bed. And my mom would bring in the, the inhaler. That's what this book is. It, it's us. It's for us, spiritual asthmatics gasping for air, just mm. trying to survive in life. <laughs> uh, I want to be a Christian at the end of my life. And life is really hard, especially now. We are all walking around with smiles on our faces, but with profound discouragements and adversities within. And um, my, my goal is that this book would help people calm down, yeah. uh, that they would actually enjoy being a disciple to Christ because they are being a disciple and a follower of this Christ. And for most of my life, I mean, I think I was born again when I was six years old, probably. It's hard to understand even yourself, but I think probably. Um, but for most of my 36 years walking with the Lord, this is not the Jesus I thought was there. And um, th this Jesus, which Matthew 11 gives to us, which is consistent with the testimony of how he acts in all four Gospels, which is consistent with the testimony of who God is before the incarnation in the old testament is um is is irresistible 
this Christ, if we see him for who he really is, is irresistible. So I don't, I don't know what let you ask what lane or what niche it fills. I don't know what the, the right or best answer to that question is, but that's, that's my longing for what this book would do for people and God be praised. That's what he seems to be doing in his own way. Mm. <clears throat> Very good. Dane, switching gears a bit, but you've already mentioned your father, and he is a pastor east of where I am in Memphis and Nashville. I know I don't know him personally, but I know a lot of people that know your dad well. It's a real advantage, I would think, for you to have a, a father that has been a minister for many years. As you have stepped into your role, what advice has he given you that's been beneficial that you think would be helpful to, to our listeners, whether pastors, elders, church planters, or even members of a church? Wow. Well, I'll say one or two things to that question, Hunter, which I really appreciate. Though, of course, it's, it's really unspeakable. You know, it, I, I would, I can't capture that because um, there's, there's wor- words of advice, but then there's beneath that the support and love that you can't quite grab onto that only a a father can give. But one thing he said to me that comes to mind when I was wrestling with, am I really going to leave 10 years at Crossway to do this? Uh, I liked Crossway. We were having fun. It was good. It was great. (laughs) Right. Uh, I love my colleagues, a prayerful boss, a, um, it's just glorious. Um, As he said, you know, Dane, if you do this, It'll be 20 years of patience. So that was really helpful for me to, um, I mean, we've all heard, you know, you, 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 we overestimate what we can do in one year, underestimate what we can do in 10. It's sort of along those lines. Um, I, I want to, the, the, the agricultural metaphor that the Bible uses all over the place where you don't see change in an hour, but you, you till and you, you work with the land and you water it and you let it have sun and over a long period of time fruit comes up that's what i want to do and my dad knows me well enough to know that's not how i roll (laughs) (laughs) i want results now (laughs) so um so i i needed the uh the wisdom of counsel to patience um simply keep one's hand to the plow and don't give up. That is supernatural. When I see a pastor, I don't care if he's ever written anything. I don't care. But if he has, um, if he has kept his hand to the plow over many years and has patiently loved the flock to me, that, that is the most heroic thing I, I can look at in this world. So, um, the vital central importance of patience as we work through uh, our, our pastoral leadership is one thing that comes to mind. Well, thanks for sharing with with that, Dane. I I, uh, I can't imagine uh, having a, a father being able to be so involved in, in ministry in that context. And yeah, so thanks for sharing your heart and some of that. Uh, I'm the same way. I want results now. So <laughs> right. Uh, so a- as you write a book as you work through something, as it's culminating in your heart, uh, you know, you mentioned Goodwin as, as kind of a primary source for this material, 
but I'm sure you read much more broadly than that. And there were maybe some other things that uh, would be a compliment to Goodwin and, and even to Gentle and Lowly. Can you give us a little bit of insight and in some other works that you might recommend people to, to pursue? There, there's so many good books out there written by people living and by people now dead. One of the, one of the deeply distressing realities of life is all the books we're going to leave unread the day we die. <laughs> yeah. Wow, uh, well said. It almost paralyzing because anytime I pick up a book, it means I'm choosing not to read all those other amazing books. <laughs> yeah. That's <laughs> the question. But, <laughs> <laughs> but a few that come to mind and I'll, maybe I'll just, I'll, I'll stay in, in the 17th century just for 60 seconds here because it has meant so much to me. The Puritans are so misunderstood. And yeah. while they can be overly analytical at times, they usually are not their, their, their works are just sermons to merchants and farmers. Most of their works, normal, mm. everyday people like us, they are not academic treatises for the most part. And they knew how to take your, the, the fallen, um, fearful human heart in one hand and the scripture in the other and <laughs> squish the two together. So that actual life flows back and forth from one to the other. That's what they've done for me. So Richard Sibbs, who was a generation older than Goodwin, Richard Sibbs, S-I-B-B-E-S, the bruised reed. Yep. Any of us in pastoral ministry or any of us who are Christians must take three hours or whatever it takes to read that short little book before we die, mm. in which Sibbs is just trying to say, you think that Jesus is the kind of savior who, when you are like a reed that has been crushed and you're about to topple over at the slightest breeze, you think he's the kind of savior who's going to come along and flick you over just for good measure. Actually, he's the kind of savior who comes along and binds you up and uh, deals tenderly and gently with you. Richard Sibbs, the bruised reed. Um, you have to choose carefully with John Owen, but because he was such a profound thinker, the, the most profound theologian ever to write in the English language, Roger Nicole and J.I. Packer both said, but a book like Communion with God, hmm. where he says, how do you distinctly commune with each of the three persons of the Trinity? Um, uh, uh, the son in grace, the father in love, the Holy Spirit in comfort is his answer based on mm -hmm. the last verse of Second Corinthians. You know, that's what the Puritans would do. They would take one verse, yeah. wring it dry, yeah. out come the results, and 300 pages later, send it off to the publisher <laughs> from one yeah. verse. Yeah. And um, uh, so, Owen, oh, communion with God, uh, I didn't get as much out of mortif mortification of sin as others have. Um, so, uh, and John Bunyan would be one other I would mention. Mm. Unlike Goodwin and Owen, who were preaching in front of the queen and royalty and going out with the army and, and were uh, well-educated, they were, they were the religious aristocracy. Bunyan was a poor nobody and, um, and, and therefore used the earthiest of language to talk about who Jesus is and the gospel. Mm. And um, so, for example, a book like Christ, a Complete Savior, or here's another title of one of his books, <laughs> Come and Welcome to Jesus Christ. I don't know <laughs> if that title could be improved upon. It's like, <laughs> duh. And that's what his writings feel like. So he at Banner of Truth publishes three big fat volumes of his works. Just get the first volume. That's where all the good stuff is. Uh, his other, the other volumes are his poems and allegorical stuff and that kind of thing. Volume number one is all the gold in John Bunyan. So anyhow, that's a couple, John. No, that's helpful. I mean, I think in the past couple of years, personally, I've kind of begun to dive into the Puritans and, 
and as I read Gentle Linoli, I realized it kind of is this, you know, uh, begging you to to dig deeper and to read some of these guys. And so, yeah, I got this one on my desk. So <laughs> just, I'm think, just getting going here. I think Dane is telling us that John Bunyan is the official author of all church planners, uh, you know, nobody <laughs> and poor. So the, nobody and poor. How about that? <laughs> Dane, thanks. Thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thank you for your ministry in Naperville and thank you for your writing ministry. It's just, it's been a help to my heart and, and I'm thankful for what we're going to be able to do with gentle and lowly. And it's, it's a real encouragement. Praise God, Hunter and John. It's great to talk with you guys. Thank you for the privilege. Have a great day. That's the last word for now. Thanks to Auxilio for sponsoring this episode, and thanks to you for listening. As always, you can reach us with comments or questions on Twitter and Facebook at Five Points Planting or at our new email address, reformplanting at gmail.com. See you all next time. Five Points Church Planting is a member of the Society of Reformed Podcasters.